Welcome. You're listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this week's message. Today I have the privilege of bringing the message, and it's part two of what I started last week, is what in the world is going on. And today we're going to be looking at majority of our scriptures. If you have your phone, your tablet, your Bible, however that you want to follow along, we're going to be looking at... Revelation 6. Chapters 4 and 5, it talks about worship in heaven. And there's a time where John is seeing this vision. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's been banished, kind of like what they used to do to Bass Rock. John is there. He's in Patmos. And he has this vision, this revelation of Jesus in his glory and in his majesty. So chapters 4 and 5, we're looking at the the praising and worshiping that's going on in heaven getting ready for the wrath that is going to come. And so God is patient. He's ever patient and long-suffering, but he must judge sin and vindicate his servants. Sometimes we always think God is so loving and kind, and we don't think of him as the judge and justice, but he is a God of justice. In Daniel chapter 9, so we have the prophetic book of Daniel, which gives some events of the end, And then we have Revelation, which is a fuller or more complete picture of what's going to happen. So in Daniel chapter 9, we're told that there's a seven-year span, and he saw 70 weeks for the people of Israel. And most theologians would believe 69 weeks have happened, and we still have one more week yet to go, which is a seven-year span. And it's all concerning Israel in God's prophetic calendar. David Wilkerson used to say that Israel is God's timepiece. If you want to know what's going on in the world, look to Israel and all the things that are happening there. This that we're going to look at could be referred to as Daniel's 70th week. There are three main parts to it. The first three and a half years, the middle, and then the last three and a half years. And the middle is when the Bible calls a man the Antichrist, this ruler, will break his covenant with Israel and become their persecutor instead of their protector. God's justice and wrath will be complete before everything is made new. And so in chapter 19 of Revelation, which we'll look at down the road, that will be the the completion of everything that God has put in motion. And last week we looked at the scroll and we talked about that it was written on the inside and the outside and the scroll containing seven seals that were upon it. And today we're going to be looking at those seals being broken. The lamb was the only one able that could break the seals and read it. All events taking place on earth note this, are the sovereign direction of God. And if the scroll contains the completion of history, then the opening of the seals must happen before the scroll is read. So if you imagine they were like that wax seal that's kind of depicted there. They were sealed with seven seals. Again, in Rome, important documents were sealed, and they would know if they were tampered with. You might be able to get away with one, but to break all seven would be certainly uh, suspicious. As the four seals are opened we see that the first four are represented by a rider on a horse. But this book is written to encourage believers in every age of history. And I heard it said like this. Imagine if six months from now, you were going to be getting a tremendous inheritance, multi-million pound inheritance. And you knew that, and things, the courts had everything in motion. If you received a bill today that you were not expecting, your car broke down and you had to or your MOT didn't pass and you had to do repairs. But knowing that in six months this tremendous uh, inheritance was coming, like how would that make you feel about that bill today? Would you just be as, if, if you didn't know the inheritance was coming, maybe concerned, but if you know that it's coming, this is what God is telling us, that we have a future glory. 
that although for the time being right now we don't see that the bill may be due, it may be coming, but we know that in the future, down the road, that God has his plan. And this is written to encourage believers. It is revealing God's character and his kingdom principles in this book. He tells us what is going to happen, which is always nice. If you know what's going to happen, that's nice. But he also warns us of what is to come. God never wants his people to be caught unawares. He tells us the, the tactics of the enemy. He tells us things that are to come so that we are ready or prepared. But he also encourages us to endure until he completes his plan. Endurance is something that we sometimes forget that we have to do. But endurance, steadfastness, staying at it. We're going to look at John's vision here. And there are two things I want you to notice. He's giving testimony to what he is seeing and hearing. A witness in court can testify to what they've seen and heard. They don't care about what, you know, thoughts on a thing. They want to know what you saw and heard. I saw that car hit that car at that junction. That's what you testify to in court. So he's just testifying to what he sees and hears. We ourselves are called to be a witness. If you ever think about this, when you go and share your faith on the street, we call it witnessing because we're a witness testifying to what we have seen and heard God do in our lives. So let's look at, at this. Uh, follow along with me. I know I have a lot of scriptures today, and I'll try to go quickly, but I just ask that you stay with me. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Then I saw, seeing with his eyes, when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard, so he's seeing and hearing, and I heard one of the living creatures saying as with a voice of thunder, Come. I looked, and behold, and he tells us what he sees, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, Revelation is one of those things, like I said, I have, was raised in church, so in my 40-plus years of church life, Revelation, a lot more is known now than back then, and people have always tried to determine or, or to um, kind of decipher some of the things that are going on, but some of it has become more clear as time has gone on. So many may mis mistake the rider on the white horse here, for Jesus, and I've heard people say that this first rider is Jesus, but in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16, Jesus returns on a white horse, but he's not crowned with a crown. He says he's crowned with many crowns and not with a bow, but a sword. This is not Jesus that it's mentioning here. This is a satanic ruler who imitates Jesus. This is the prince who was to come that Daniel described in chapter 9. We know this character as the Antichrist against everything that God stands for. His emergence, connected with what we know about this leader from Daniel 9, shows that these four horsemen are connected to Daniel's 70th week and the Great Tribulation. So we can have Scripture interpreting Scripture. So we have Daniel, we have Revelation, and they're in agreement. He arrives on the scene as a world peacemaker. And it may be something like this. We've seen this unprecedented time that we've had where things just seem to be just madness. And I don't know if it's going to get to a point where the world is just at war with each other. Nations and nations are just there. And this world peacemaker is going to show up. And he's going to bring peace. And I don't know if that's what it'll look like. But that's what he's described as, a peacemaker. He will deceive everyone into thinking that he is a peaceful leader. Here it's described as holding a bow, but no arrows. It's like having a weapon that's not armed. He doesn't have arrows. 
And it says he rules with a crown given to him and a bow, not a sword. And he exercises dominion over earth. But the results of his rule, as described in the verses that will follow, shows that this is not Jesus. When Jesus returns to earth, it says he's going to set up his kingdom and rule for a thousand years. That is not what's happening here. Dictators war, famine and death and persecution have been known throughout all human history but not to the severity or scope with which they'll be present in the great tribulation. So note that this isn't just describing a tribulation, the great tribulation. Jesus described it as never having been nor will be again. And there's been some times in history, if you study history at all, there's been some horrific times in history. I think of 70 years ago with Nazi Germany and what was going on to the Jews, that had to have seemed like absolute hell on earth. But this says that this is going to be more than that. This will never be again. Also, we're going to be looking at, so if you keep your finger there in Revelation chapter 6, we're going to be looking at Jesus' discourse in Matthew 24. And he is giving a chronological series of events that are going to happen, and it's the same as these seals being opened. And they follow almost identically. They will be on the screen. Matthew 24, verse 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? Interesting to know you have Jesus, the Messiah, God in the flesh, knows all things. I would be asking him all kinds of questions. When will these things happen? And what? He's not, they're not just when, but what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Remember, they're all in with him. This is Jesus. They've left their jobs, some of them, uh, and they're following Jesus, and they're asking, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered this and said, doesn't give them the, all the specifics. He says, see to it that no one misleads you. And in the Amplified, it says, deceiving you and leading you into error. That's what his first thing is. See to it that no one misleads you deceiving and leading you into error for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will mislead many so he says first of all let's put our seatbelts on don't be deceived don't be misled there's going to be many that come who say that I am the Messiah so the first thing he says false messiahs will come to deceive the first seal that's broken is this ruler coming to deceive we see that he will be more terrible than all previous dictators ever were. He will rule over men as a false messiah and will actually get men into outright rebellion against God. And my pastor friend used to say, if you read it in there, it's almost as if man shakes their fist at God and is like, bring it on. Like they literally, this final battle, if you read, read on, it's like mankind thinks they're going to take on God. It's, it's just madness. But if you could see our modern political and social climate is setting the stage for the emergence of such a political leader. Governments have failed all around the world. We know of nations that have fallen. The leaders have fallen. And our climate is just looking for some leader, somebody that could step forth, that could lead us. The first seal open brings this ruler to prominence. Daniel's 70th week begins when this ruler confirms a covenant with the Jewish people. So he appears on the scene, wants them to go ahead, build your temple, and he appears like he's this friend of Israel, this peacemaker, and in, it says in the middle of his seven years at the three and a half year mark, he turns on the people. But let me move on. The second seal is opened, and it's war. Verse three, when I, he broke this second seal, I heard the sound 
of, I'm sorry, I heard the second living creature saying, come, and I looked and he saw a red horse and it went out and he said to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth that men would slay one another and a great sword was given to him. Note that the, the, this rider didn't bring war and destruction. It says he took peace from the earth. Peace is removed, war and destruction quickly follow. Note that the authority was given to the horsemen. Again, Satan cannot do just what he wants to do. This authority was granted to the horsemen. Our modern time is marked by war and conflict. Since World War II, there have been more than 150 wars of some kind in the world. And at any given time, there could be three dozen armed conflicts that take thousands of lives every year. Nations of the world often spend more than a trillion dollars on military expenses annually. So whether that's to go to war or for defense, and Jesus says this, Matthew 24, 6, you will be hearing, your ears will hear, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not frightened. So I'll say today, church, do not be frightened when you hear these things. Those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes but all of these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And friends, there is a shaking going on. If you just watch world news, there are earthquakes happening in places that have never had earthquakes. There is shaking going on all over the world. Those of you that know our daughter just last week had a baby. She just had our grandson. But once those birth pangs happened, there is no stopping them. As much as she would have said, okay, I'm done, I'm tapping out, I'm done, that baby was coming. Jesus says, these are the beginning of birth pangs. This is going to be set in motion. And as he's breaking those seals, and as this is happening, there is no stopping it. The third seal, famine. Verse five, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, come. I looked and behold, he sees a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius or a day's wage and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not damage the oil and the wine. The scales here symbolize the need to measure and ration food. This speaks of a time of scarcity. Food shortages drive up prices and panic begins to set in when you have to ration. The color black often symbolizes famine, which also goes hand in hand with war. This may be another way that the Antichrist or this ruler controls the world as he has control of the food supply. And as he has that control, people may begin to come to him. And it says that this quart of wheat and three quarts of barley for a day's wage. So I just figure, just do simple math. If you make 10 pounds an hour at your job, and you work eight hours, that's 80 pounds, day's wage. You know, I know that's with, with um, hyper super inflation. I mean, would you wanna pay 80 pounds for a loaf of bread? But it says that it's going to be very scarce. We may think of famine around the world today, yet fewer people suffer from hunger today than just 100 years ago. 
understanding the current state of things, it would not take much to plunge many into the kind of scarcity and rationing mentioned here. Just think one year ago how people were rationing and hoarding toilet roll. I mean, we have this utopian idea sometimes, oh, we'll all help each other. It's like, I was at uh, ASDA, and there was a young man, there was one um, pack of uh, toilet roll in the back, and this young man went to die for it, and he hit the metal rack, and he knocked himself almost unconscious for toilet roll. And he might have had a bunch at home, I don't know. So this is something that we could see that this could happen. In fact, I just remember, was it a week or two weeks ago, there was the fuel shortage. People were queuing and down in England. Some had to put cones because they were out of, of petrol. And he says, don't harm the oil and wine, meaning the nicer things will still be around for those who can afford them. The oil and wine here, it says, should not be harmed. Verse 7, the fourth seal, death. As if the first three weren't bad enough, here comes death. The fourth, when the lamb broke the fourth seal... I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come. And I looked and behold an ashen horse. And in the Amplified it says, black and blue as if made so by bruising. So this would have been an ugly horse to look at. Not just that it was pale, but it was probably a sickly color. And he who sat on it had the name Death. Sounds like a nice guy. Hi, my name's Jim. This is my friend Death, you know? It's, it says his name is death and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beasts of the earth. Sounds like somebody that you don't want to have around for, for a party. This last rider shows that there will be a tremendous death toll from this first horse ruler with war, famine, and other disasters described by the previous three horsemen. Our modern age has seen hundreds of millions killed by dictators. They've been killed by war and famine. All that will shrink in comparison to the amount of death coming from this world dictator. Power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill. Notice, though, that power was given to the horsemen by God. Again, this isn't just Satan having his way. And I shared with you last week, as a teenager, that's what I thought. I thought, oh, this is just Satan. This last book is Satan just doing what he wants. No, God is orchestrating or allowing these events or giving authority for these things to happen. Though all hell breaks loose on the earth, God is very much in control. He is still the one that holds the scroll and opening the seals. All events taking place on earth are the sovereign control of God. And again, I told you this book is written as an encouragement. So that's for us as we're looking at all this. We don't have to give in to despair as we're reading these things. We read and see what God is doing. Warren Wearsby says this, Christ has the keys to death and Hades, and both will one day be cast into hell. Death claims the body, while Hades claims the souls of the dead. And Jesus has those keys in his hand. He is completely in control. Verse 9, the fifth seal is martyrs. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony with which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants 
and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. And this picture that he's describing, John, he may have been thinking, Leviticus 4, 7 says, and he shall pour the remaining blood at the base of the altar of the burnt offering. It says these souls were under the altar there in heaven, emphasizing that their blood was given sacrificially unto God, offering their lives unto God. And it says that the word of their testimony, they stood fast, even in the, the facing of death, and I want to believe, as I, I had shared, as we went to the uh, Christian Heritage Tour in Scotland and the Christian Heritage that's here, I want to believe that some of those that have given their lives, those covenanters and those who have gone before, who have lost their lives for standing up for their faith, I believe that they'll be there. But we could see this as the cry of all martyrs for God's truth, not merely the believers persecuted by the coming world leader. In fact, martyr, by definition, means witness. And these were killed because they bore witness to God's truth and Jesus Christ. This also assures us that those who are killed for their testimony are in heaven. That's where he saw them. They were there awaiting the resurrection. And it says they're robed in heavenly glory. We don't usually think of God's people crying out for vengeance. In fact, Jesus said, forgive those, you know, who don't know what they're doing. Stephen was being stoned and he said, forgive them. Here it says they're crying out for vengeance on those who killed them. But here they make their cry to God and they just leave the matter with him. God just says, just, just hold on, hold on a little while. When God's people are persecuted, we can be assured that God will set it right. Remember, the battle is his. We don't wrestle or fight against flesh and blood. The battle is his. And it says in Genesis that the blood of Abel cried out from the ground for vengeance. So there's this idea that they're saying, how long, God, how long? And they're instructed to wait and it says that they had to wait until others would be killed as they were and that number would be completed. This may mean that they should wait until all God's appointed martyrs are to be killed. And I wanted to give you a statistic. This man, David Barrett, who leads the voice of the martyrs, did some data and he put it together and attributed that the number of Christians martyred since the time of Jesus. Does anyone want to give a guess? So in 2,000 years... 70 million, 70 million, he says, since the time of Christ have lost their lives. Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So he's answering their question much more so than they probably initially asked. He says, they will deliver you over. You will be killed. Church, I don't know what all this means, but we need to know we may be handed over and killed at some point in the future. He says, all nations will hate you because you bear my name. Do you follow Jesus? We heard in the grass market that they put a gun to their head and said, who is the king of the church? Who's the head of the church? And if you said the king, you lived. But if you said Jesus Christ is the head of the church, they killed you on the spot. And that's here in Scotland and not that long ago. Verse 12, the sixth seal. If, if the first couple weren't enough, 
This one is terror. I looked again. He's testifying to what he's seen. I looked, and when he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake. So again, there's rumblings, there's earthquakes around the world. This is a great earthquake. And it says, the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. So John here is doing the, his absolute best to describe what he's seeing and hearing. Like I said, if you could try to see something and you couldn't describe it, he's using his best terminology to try to see what he's seeing and hearing. The sixth seal brings a terror even worse than what has already transpired. I know when the pandemic first happened and you were hearing about things and you were hearing about Italy and France and other things, there was like a terror that gripped people. Fear was just abounding. You didn't know what it was. You didn't know how it would affect you. This is terror. This is a worldwide terror that's happening. In Zephaniah, it says this. It'll be on the screen as well. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord. In it, the warrior cries out bitterly. That day is a day of anger, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. He says it's coming quickly. Jesus continuing on in verse 21, Matthew 24, 21. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Now remember, Jesus was there with the flood. He saw the worldwide flood with Noah in the beginning. And he says, but it's not going to be like that. This is worse. Nothing has occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And if anyone says to you, note anyone, anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, Jesus says, do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. So just great signs and wonders isn't proof that this person is a prophet of God or a Messiah. He says they will do these things. He says so as to mislead, even if possible, even the elect. They're going to do things that are deceptive. And he says, if possible, even the elect will be deceived. But behold, I have told you in advance so he's telling us these things again so we're not caught unawares. He's telling us in advance that these things will happen. And continuing on, verse 14 of Revelation. And the sky will split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain and island removed out of their place. This is a global shakening. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders, again, who maybe thought, I'm going to fight you, God, bring it on. It says, um, the rich and strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They're begging the rocks to fall on them. Please don't make me have to look him in the eye. Don't make me have to face the wrath that is coming. Here people will still curse God and they will try to hide from him like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve's first thing when they disobeyed was to hide. And God says, where are you? His, their first instinct was to hide. People will try to hide from God. And I heard this this week. There are reports of pilots when, when there is a crash and they're getting the black boxes and they're listening back over. They're not people praying 
to God. The pilots are cursing God. There's recordings of people on their deathbeds where they're cursing God. Even at the end, they're not repentant. Their hearts aren't toward God. They're cursing him even to their last breath. And that's what's going to happen here. They're going to see all this wrath being poured out. They're going to see the judgments of God. And they'll still curse him to, their, to his face. And here's the last thing, verse 17. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? What a question this ends with. The one who is able to stand is the one whose sins are forgiven. The one who has accepted the sacrifice that was paid. The one who is justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That is who is able to stand. We're not the recipients of God's wrath. Jesus paid that on the cross. Jesus says this in Matthew 24, 29. I'm almost finished. If you could just hold with me for another moment. He says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect. So his elect are still there. At the end of all this, his elect, he says, he will gather them from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. So they are able to endure. And this was an encouragement to those first century Christians. He says, those who endure to the end will be saved. Friends, the believer can stand in the face of this great wrath because Jesus has already bore the wrath that we deserved. See, we deserved God's wrath. We were absolutely, completely out, you know, without a hope in the world. And God said, I'll send my son. Jesus said, I'll go. We need not die. We need not perish in all this because it's been paid. It's been paid in full. And this should encourage us greatly. He has overcome. And he enables us to overcome. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingtonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.